Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you don't have Jesus, that's what we want more for you than anything else. Because only He, only He can change your life. Church won't change your life, only Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 6, going through the Sermon on the Mount. And when we got to the model prayer, we've been looking at each phrase. And let me remind you of what we've already talked about. Our Father, who art in heaven, we have a relationship with Abba who rules from the center of the universe in heaven. And then you'll notice six petitions, six requests. The first three have to do with God. Hallowed be your name. May your name be holy on the earth. May your name be honored around the earth. And we pray that God's name would be honored. Thy kingdom come. We're praying for God's kingdom. And every time somebody comes to know Christ, the kingdom expands every time. The kingdom has grown. When people are saved and baptized, the kingdom of God is growing. And we want God's kingdom to come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anytime God makes a statement for an angel to do something, angel does it instantly. We're praying for God's will to be done on earth. God, I want your will to be done in my life. I want your will to be done in our country. We want... God's will to be done on the earth, and we know one day that Jesus will reign and his will will be done, but we're asking for it now. Then the petitions move manward. Give us this day our daily bread. We talked about how we're asking God for our daily needs. You know, he, he, we only have one day at a time, so we're asking God to meet our daily needs each day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We talked about God's forgiveness, the forgiveness that removes our sin permanently, but then the forgiveness that restores our fellowship with him. When you've been married, I use this example, when you're married and you disagree with one another, when you make up, you don't go get married again. You don't have to be saved again, but you you restore that relationship, that fellowship by forgiveness. And we're asking God to forgive us because we still struggle with sin. And then the last petition is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, that's really one petition, but we've broken it down into two weeks. Last week, we looked at temptation. Do you ask God to do something he's not going to do anyway? We got confused about temptation because God doesn't tempt anyone. But the word temptation and the word testing are the same word depending on the context. And so we're asking God when we go through trials and testings which increase our faith, Satan's always there with a temptation. Lord, help us not be overcome by what Satan tries to bring our way and to lead us astray. And then today we're taking the second part of that, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'll look at that last phrase next Sunday, and then we'll continue on through the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to pray with me right now. Lord, we ask you today.
to open our eyes and our hearts to understand. We pray that Satan or any of his demons, any of his followers, any of his kingdom of darkness would hinder your message today. Whether it's online or through television or in this very room, we pray that people will hear you and the truth. So, Lord, we're asking you to deliver us from the evil one today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It was the amateurs boxers' first fight, and it was not going well. The first round, the opponent just about beat him to a pulp. He staggered back over in the corner, and his trainer's trying to encourage him since it was his first fight. He said, son, you're doing great. He hadn't laid a glove on you. You got him right where you want him. Go out there and get him. Second round, he went out there. It was worse than the first. In fact, the opponent knocked him to the mat, and the only thing that saved the, the fight was that at the count of nine, the bell rang, and the trainer went out there and grabbed him, picked him up, and took him back to the corner. He said, listen, you're doing great, man. You're in great shape. You got him right where you want him. He hadn't laid a glove on you. Go out there and get him. So third round was even worse. End of the third round, the saved by the bell, he comes back to the corner. He's bleeding. His eyes are almost swollen shut. He's bleeding in the mouth. Got a cut above his right eye. And the trainer's trying to encourage him. He said, now, now, you can take him this round. You got him right where you want him. You're in great shape. He hadn't laid a glove on you. <laughs> and the boxer looked at his trainer, and he said, look, I'm going to go out there another round, and I'm going to try to take him this round. But I want you to keep an eye on the referee because somebody's beating the daylights out of me. <laughs> Somebody beating the daylights out of you. You have an enemy. A lot of people don't realize it. You don't have to be afraid. It's not that there's a, a demon behind every bush. But the fact is Jesus told us when we prayed Deliver us from the evil one. Now, the King James Version says evil. The New King James says the evil one, NIV, and the New English Bible, they all say the evil one. And there's, it's because it's unclear whether it's evil or the evil one, but you and I both know it's synonymous with the same person, Satan himself. Because he is the instigator of evil. He is the one that brought sin into the world. He is the one, he's the one that introduced sin into the world as far as leading man astray. And so the fact is, Jesus is basically saying, you have to admit you need God's help. Because you are not sufficient on your own. Deliver us. There's no part of life that hasn't been touched by evil. Our circumstances, our own Character, it's all been affected, even God's creation. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. Now, my subject today is not my favorite one, but it's one that we need to talk about. Because when Jesus told us to, de to pray, deliver us from the evil one, he wanted us to know that we are definitely in a battle. We're definitely in a spiritual war all the time. 
So with that in mind, let's first talk about the reality of Satan. The definite reality and his determined rebellion. I want you to understand that the Lord's Prayer recognizes evil as a deadly fact. Many Christians have not stopped to realize the nature of the spiritual battle that we are in. I know we're focused on the veterans this weekend and on tomorrow, but the fact is that we have an adversary, we have an enemy that is real, and we need to understand it. Because, you know, in our world, in our society, Satan has pretty much been fictionalized. George Barna did a survey 10 years ago in 2009. Here was the question, or here was the statement. Satan... Uh, Let me find it here. Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. Now, that was the statement. You strongly agree or strongly disagree. 40% of Christians strongly disagree or strongly agreed with that, that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of error. And 19% checked somewhat agree with that. So 60% of Christians, whatever that means, don't even believe he's real. 25% strongly disagreed, which said, no, we believe he's a real being. And then another 9% disagreed somewhat, and the remaining 8% weren't sure about the existence of Satan. But I want to tell you, he's all through the Bible. The first two chapters of Genesis, Satan's not around. He shows up in the third chapter. The last two chapters of the Bible, Satan's not there. He disappears in the third chapter from the end in Revelation 20. And so all in the middle, though, he's all in there. In Genesis chapter 3, he is enticing Adam and Eve into sin. In the book of Job, he orchestrates all of Job's disasters and tries to destroy Job's spirituality. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, he shows up against Israel and incites David to sin. In Zechariah 3, Satan attacks the high priest of Israel trying to tear him down in the sight of the people to hinder the work of rebuilding the temple. In Luke chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said when the gospel is preached that Satan is like a bird of prey, snatching away as much as he can from those who would hear the gospel. In Luke chapter 22, he tells Simon, he's addressing all of the disciples, he says, Satan has asked to sift you as we, he's speaking to all the disciples. In Acts chapter 5, Peter asked Ananias and Sapphira, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit and to the church? Satan had filled their hearts. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Peter warned that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In 1 John 3, 8, it says we're told that one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul describes him as the God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to put on the full armor of God lest we uh, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 1 John five nineteen, G- John told the readers, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 
And then right here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of his earthly ministry, he tells us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And at the end of Jesus' ministry in John 17, where Jesus is praying for you and me, he actually says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Folks, I want to tell you, Satan is real. He is real. So with that in mind, let's talk about the person of Satan. Now, I did not read to you 1 Peter 5, 8. Let me do that right quick. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Satan has been portrayed as sinister. Every time you see him in a Hollywood movie, he's scary looking. But in reality, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that he can appear as an angel of light. In the beginning, he was originally a powerful, angelic being, beautiful being named Lucifer. But because of his pride, it led to rebellion that's described in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And Lucifer became proud and said, I will be like the Most High. And God cast him out. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that a third of the angels were cast out with him. Now, we know them as demons and demonic spirits and the kingdom of Satan now. He's described as the father of lies. Jesus said, The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies in John 8, 44. 2 Corinthians calls him the God of this age. In Matthew 9, 34 and 12, 24, he's called the prince of demons. He's also called the prince of this world in John 12, 31, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians 2, 2. He's alive and well, but let me tell you this. A lot of Christians assume that he is like a junior God. He's about 90% the power of God. No. He's not anywhere near God. He's a created being. He was an angel. Now, he's powerful. He's more powerful than you and me because angels are more powerful than you and me. I mean, every time you see an angel show up in a scripture, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Have you noticed? They're not those little fat cherub angels that you've got sitting at home on your shelf, look like cute little babies with wings. Who's afraid of that? But Satan was an angelic being who rebelled against God and a third of the angels with him. He is organized. He is powerful, but he can't do anything without God allowing it. Satan is not going to defeat him. He already has defeated him. And you need to understand that Satan is not God at all. He's not even like God. Satan can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. Satan does not know everything. He's not omniscient. We give him way too much credit. Now, he is organized. But you don't know where Satan is at any given time because he can't be everywhere at once. There's a war going on, and you need to understand that he is real, and he is our adversary, and the fact is he's got a plot. 
Now, what is Satan's plot? Satan has already convinced people of at least three main lies. One, that he's not real. And two, that you can sin and then not suffer for it. And the third one is that evil is good and good is evil. Surely that's not going to happen in our day and age. We don't call good evil and evil good, do we? No, I'm just being facetious, obviously. Satan's got a plot. And if you're going to stand in victory against him, you need to know what he's going to do. Now, I preached out of 1 Peter a long time ago, and I preached on this passage, so I borrowed a few notes from that today. So if you recognize it, which I don't expect you to recognize anything. You don't even remember what I said last week, so I'm not <laughs> worried about you remembering something I said several years ago. But... I shouldn't have told you. You wouldn't have known it. (laughs) But three basic plots. He's got a plot against the unbelievers, against the believers, and against the church. So what are his plots? The first one, detention, darkness, and destruction for non-believers. Detention. Ephesians 2, 1 says, he has captured them. And you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You want to know why people do the things they do today? I'm talking about non-Christians, people who are not saved. People, you, can you believe how demented and how destructive people can be how could you do this to someone else how could you abuse children how could you kill innocent people and so forth you know we're kind of appalled like what in the world is going on i'll tell you why it's because they're captured they're detained by the spirit of darkness until you come to know jesus you're not set free Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many times do we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found? I, I, I once was a captive. I've been set free. Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. I came to save the world. So all of your people, all of the people that you know without Jesus, some of them are nice. Some of them are religious. But if they don't know Jesus, they're already detained. They're captured. They're lost. He also wants to keep them in darkness. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of this age, blinds the minds of them so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ will not shine to them and open their eyes. We sometimes talk about, I once was blind, but now I see. You were in darkness. By the way, lions love darkness. They don't like when it's full moon because they can be seen easier by the prey. Satan loves darkness. But the light of the gospel, the light of the word of God shines and exposes him. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. It shows the light. He didn't like the light. Where God is is where the light is. Satan doesn't like the light because it exposes him. He also is bent on destroying them. 
John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Folks, I want to tell you, the person, the people that you know, that you work with, go to school with, live next door to, the people that you know that don't have Jesus as their Savior and Lord and the Spirit of God living in them, they're going to hell. Because Satan knows he's going, and it shows in chapter Revelation 20, he's going there. He wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. He's going to destroy them, not annihilate them, but separate it eternally from God. And we don't like to talk about that, but that's exactly what Satan's plot is to keep them in darkness, to keep them on the path to destruction because he already has captured him for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sometimes forget that our friends who don't know Christ are headed for destruction. But did you know he's got a plot for believers? I call it disturbance, disobedience, discouragement. Philippians, Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Satan, Satan and his helpers will blame him for it, but he's not doing all the attacking. He's well organized. There's a kingdom there. He, he will remind you of your past. When God looks at your past, he sees the cross. You've been forgiven. You've been saved. But he'll try to disturb us and help us focus on our own faults and, and misgivings. And, and he knows if we can keep us disturbed. You need to remember you're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a promise. He also tries to get us to disobey. Every time God tells us to do something, he's there with an option to disobey. And he doesn't have many weapons. They're always the same. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 talks about it. He, he tells us to love not the world or the things in the world. For the, for if you have the love of the world in your heart, the love of the Father is not in you. The world is the system apart from God. And then he says the, the three things. For there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's all he has. Go back to the garden. When he tempted Eve, lust of the eyes, it looked good. Lust of the flesh, oh, that would taste good. Pride of life, I'll be as smart as God. That's all he has, and he tempts us the same way all the time, to disobey God. And then he also tries to discourage us. When I read to you out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may eat down. Devour. Now, when you hear the word devour, you're thinking of you and a bowl of bluebell ice cream, <laughs> aren't you? You are. But the word devour means to eat down. If you're going to eat an elephant, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a time. That's exactly right. Well, Satan comes along and takes a bite out of you. He can't eat you. He can't have you. But I want to tell you, I, I'm, I'm telling you, he can take a bite out of you every now and then. Somehow, he discourages people. He, he, he knows how to do it. I, I just know I've been on the receiving end of it. 
And if he can discourage believers, he can shut down ministry. Satan always attacks at the weakest point. Lions do that. Lions look for the weakest animal. They're looking for the, the smallest, the youngest, the weakest. Satan and his helpers and his demons, they know your weaknesses. I mean, they've been watching. I tell you, last week, you might be tempted to do some things that I would not be tempted to do and vice versa. Satan knows our weaknesses. And so that's where he's going to attack and try to discourage us. But there's also a plot for the church. It's division, diversion, and disaffection for the D. The, the, the body of Christ, division. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says that the early church were all in one accord. That was not a Honda. <laughs> they were all in one accord. They were in unity. Psalm, Psalm 133 verse 1 says how pleasant and blessed it is when the brethren dwell in unity. I've been in some churches that were divided. It's not a pleasant place to be. You see, when we're together, God can do miraculous and marvelous things through a body of believers who've been saved by faith. But if you get division, now, we all like different football teams. We like different foods. We like different colors. But what binds us together? The gospel. We've all been saved the same way, by faith, through Jesus Christ. But he'll try to divide us. If he can't divide us, he'll try to divert us. What is the mission of the New Testament church? What's the mission of South Christ Baptist Church? The Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. To go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, discipling them. That's what a church is. A church exists for the people who are not here yet. Now, I know that we have a fellowship of believers, and we're to disciple, and we gather together corporately to worship. That's part of it. But really, we exist for the people who are not here yet. That's our mission. That's our goal. But churches today can get diverted. They become social clubs. Or there is a big emphasis. Now, you listen carefully. If you're just waking up, listen carefully. Because you're going to misunderstand what I'm going to say. There's a big emphasis on social ministry today. I'm all about helping people when I can. If somebody is hungry, I want to help them. You know, as best I can. I can't solve everybody's problems. Neither can you. I can't feed everybody. I can't give money to everybody. I can't do it. But the main goal of the church is not to wipe out hunger. The main goal of the church is not to wipe out poverty. We're not ever going to do it. Not this side of Jesus coming. The main job of the church is to tell them about Jesus who will change their hearts, give them purpose and direction. I'll, if their circumstances completely change, I don't know. But I do know this. If I just feed somebody and don't tell them about Jesus, I've not helped them. Are you with me? Because I don't want you leaving saying, well, that pastor doesn't want to help anybody. That's not true. 
You would not believe how many requests we get to use this facility. Good organizations, not Christian organizations, but they're good organizations. Can we use your building for a big gathering of whatever? Well, as much as we'd like to say yes, we have to stop and say, you know what? We've had to make the decision based on the mission of this church. Does it have anything to do with the fellowship of the believers here? Does it have anything to do with worship? Does it have anything to do with evangelism? But if it doesn't, then we could have all kinds of civic meetings here, but don't have anything to do with the mission of the church. Now, I said all that to say this. We need to maintain sharing Jesus, lifting up Jesus, worshiping the Lord, or we have be, we've quit being a church. Diversion. And of course, disaffection. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. So that's, that's really what he's about. So what do we do? And I want to quickly move on. Because we're told that we can ask. In fact, look at the divine rescue. And then there's something that we have to do. I call it defensive resistance. First of all, the word deliver us, deliver us means to rescue or snatch away. Rescue us. Jesus told us, pray, asking, Lord, Rescue me. Help me. In Mark 14, 38, he told the disciples, watch and pray. And this petition really is a confession of our spiritual weakness. When you get up to go to work tomorrow, Lord, I pray that you'll help me in my weaknesses. I know that Satan is alive and well. His organization is alive and well. Would you help me not be overcome? Would you help me not be fooled? Would you help me to be sober, be awake? Don't let him overpower me. That's what he's saying. We can ask. And listen, if Jesus tells us we need to ask, I think we need to ask. But there's also some deliberateness on our part. You've got to take some action. And that involves three or four things. First of all, you need to recognize who you're up against. 1 Peter 5 9 and 5 8 says to be sober, be vigilant, be, be wide awake. We need, it's not that you have to walk around in fear. You don't have to walk around in fear. But you need to respect the power of the dark side, of, of Satan and all his demons. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I agree. You know that. 1 John 4.4. 4. But don't start your day thinking, sorry, God, I got this. Satan can't throw anything at me I can't handle. We sort of get a little overconfident. And when you recognize that you're up against a spiritual um, adversary, a supernatural adversary, you need to recognize that and respect it to know that it can happen to you and will happen to you. You will sometimes feel oppressed. 
Listen, even the archangel Michael did not take Satan for granted. In fact, Jude verse 9 says that he did not take on Satan alone, but called on the Lord to rebuke him. This is another, the archangel said, Lord, you'll have to rebuke Satan. So if, if Michael can't take him on by himself, well, you and I are not going to handle it. Amen? The second thing is to removal. To, is a removal to remove something. Listen, you're not going to find this term, but when you're saved, you'll find this term. You, when you're saved, God puts his spirit in you. you. You are given the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives in you. And you know what? The Lord gives you spiritual common sense. He changes you. There's some things in your life you no longer do. Now, I've used this analogy before. It's probably not the best, but probably I'm guessing that most of us in this room, at least who are more mature, have tried to lose weight. (laughs) And you younger folks that haven't gotten there yet, just look around you. It's coming, I promise you. But if you're trying to lose weight, you're not going to go sit in the Krispy Kreme donut shop. You're not going to go to Baskin-Robbins and see what the flavor of the month is. If you have a problem with alcohol, you stay away from it. If you've got a problem with pornography, you need to be careful what you read and what you allow in your home and where your computer is located and, and what movies you go see. Do you see? There, Paul told Timothy, he said, Oh, young men of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness. Folks, there's some things in your life that you've got to get rid of if you want to resist the temptation because Satan will keep... Using that stuff in your life. Get rid of it. Remove yourself from it. Third thing is to resist it. Goes a lot with it. James 4, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 9. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James used the verb tense. It means to take a decisive stand. Peter says, resist him, stand against him, give no place to him. Again, that goes back to recognizing what can happen. I uh, am amused at a little girl when the teacher asked in the Sunday school class, what do you do when Satan knocks at the door to tempt you? The youngest girl in the class, the smallest girl said, I say to Jesus who lives in my heart, would you please see who's at the door? And when Jesus answers the door, old Satan says, whoops, wrong house, and runs away. (laughs) Well, that's a great answer, actually. Sometimes you just have to resist. The fourth thing is, is to have a readiness. Ephesians 6, 11 through 14 talks about the spiritual armor he told the disciples in Mark 14, 38 to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Paul warns the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Part of that armor is the belt of truth. That belt held all of the armor together on a Roman soldier. And folks, I want to tell you, we're living in a society that says truth is all relative. What you say is truth may not be truth for me, and what you say is truth may not be truth for me, and so forth. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And God's Word is truth. So the belt of truth is, what does God's Word have to say so that it'll hold all the other, the breastplate of righteousness? When I begin to sin in my life, I'm exposing the breastplate which protected the heart and the lungs and the kidneys. I'm I'm exposing that, the righteousness and staying in fellowship with the Lord and confessing my sin. Lord, I want to keep that breastplate on, the shield of faith was large enough for a Roman soldier to hide behind so that the arrows from the enemy could not pierce them, the fiery darts of the wicked one, to apply God's truth to our life, the helmet of salvation. Do you know that you've been saved? Because if you know that you've been saved, and the Bible says you can know that you know, 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. Be nice if God put a mark on us, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, I got the Christian mark right here. I'm saved. People say, well, I walked an aisle as a kid, or I was baptized as a child, or I was this or that. You know what John John says? If if your life is not characterized by sin. In other words, when you, you just see sin in your life all the time. Now, I know we all struggle, but I'm talking about characterized if, if, if you love the brethren, if you love to be with God's people and you love the Word of God, those are good marks that you are saved. But to be ready, the sword of the Spirit is the, the offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. So many people stumble because they don't know what God's Word has to say. It's amazing what people don't know about the Bible. Well, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? No. God helps us in spite of ourselves. <laughs> Cleanliness next to godliness? Nah. God, God won't put more on me than I can bear? Nah. Yeah, he will. He'll put it on you so that you'll trust in him. See, we just assume we know. But when you start... Looking at it, you say, you know what? The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. The Holy Spirit will teach you these things. And the last thing is this, and I know it's the last blank, but you keep listening because it's probably the most, one of the most important, is remembrance. I read in 1 Peter 5, 9, it says to remember that your brotherhood is going through the same thing. I paraphrased it. You are not alone. I like to watch those documentaries that show the animals, maybe in Africa, and it'll show a predator that's going to attack a herd, say water buffalo, which a lion is stupid if he attacks a water buffalo, but there are stupid lions too. (laughs) But a herd will be there, and a lion is stalking, and the herd may even know the lion's out there, but he's not going to attack the herd. 
But eventually there'll be an animal, a smaller one or a weak one or some stupid one, who will begin to feed away from the herd. And this is where the lion's going to go. And before you know it, whatever animal it is, out of the security of the herd, is now running without direction, no security, equals lunch for the lion. Peter was saying, listen, listen, in this war, the spiritual war that we're in, you need to remember the herd. Now, you probably never had a church called a herd, but I'm going to call it one today. Because you need a herd. You do. Is this herd perfect? Heavens, no. What binds us together? The fact, the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we follow Jesus, that's what binds us together. But I can tell you, I've seen this time and time and time again. People begin to drift away. Not, not all at once, but before you know it, they have walked away from the herd. They're not there for encouragement. They're not there to worship. They're not there to hear the word taught. They're, they're, they've just kind of walked away. And then they wind up doing something they never thought they would ever do. There is strength. There is security. There's encouragement in the herd. You need one. It may not be this one. It's okay. But you need one. You need a place to belong. You need the fellowship of other believers. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're not the only one in this room? Can you imagine me preaching to you by yourself? A lion knows it can't attack a herd. It's too strong. They also, the herd has a combined strength. Third, they, they have a sense of security. We have the opportunity to stand strong and secure in the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we wander off alone, we get picked off. When you stay together, yeah, sometimes the herd can kick one another. Sometimes the herd doesn't get along. Sometimes they argue over the food, whatever. But there's still strength in the herd. I want you to remember you're not alone, and that's one of the reasons. That's just one of the reasons that we gather together. Did you know you need the herd, and the herd needs you? Because if we don't, we're going to get picked off one by one. The last thing is good news. Peter calls him a lying lion. He walks about like a roaring lion. But did you know Satan is not a lion? He just sounds like one and tries to act like one. But guess what? We have a lion. Revelation 5, 5 says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. One day, the lion is coming back. My friends, if you don't know Jesus more than anything on earth, we want you to know him. Southcrest isn't going to change your life, but Jesus can. 
Southcrest can't forgive you of your sin, but Jesus can. Southcrest can't change your heart, but Jesus can. And once you follow Jesus, if you need a herd, Southcrest is available. It's just one of the herds. <laughs> but you need to get in a herd. You do. Because they need you too. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to encourage and exhort one another. Know that the day is approaching. We are holding together. Would you pray with me? Thank you for being so patient. Lord, we pray for those today that need Jesus. Some of our friends, some of our family, they are already captured And unless they come to you, they don't have a future, an eternal future with you. We pray for those today, maybe watching online, they may be watching by television, but would you just speak to their hearts to let them know how much you love them and how you can open their spiritual eyes, how you can give them eternal life, how you can rescue them, deliver them from the evil one today by turning to you in faith. And Lord, I pray for those in this room. Most people in here have probably committed their life to Jesus. A lot of them have. And some may be discouraged. Some may be going through some difficult times. Some may just need to be reassured today that you're still there. We confess our sin to you. We ask that you give us strength. We pray, God, that you'd help us to be part of your kingdom And if you want them to be part of this Southcrest herd, you bring them. If not, then, Lord, put them where they can serve. The kingdom is big. But I pray that you would just speak to people's hearts today. And if you want them to join, you bring them. Lord, if if there's someone needs to be baptized, that you'd help them be obedient like these two ladies were today. So, Lord, right now we pray that Satan will not distract anybody from committing to you in Jesus name.